Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, our listeners, our regular listeners, know I attend various shows to find new and exciting or interesting small businesses. Well, I did just that recently, and uh, it was actually for baby uh, ornaments with uh, baby uh, products, etc. And I came across one uh, one interesting. Product which I'll let uh, Shelley Henshaw, who's our guest tonight, tell you about. Uh, Shelley, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. Thank you for having me on your show this evening. Well, uh, it's our pleasure because uh, before we get into your product, which uh, I want you to describe, t- you're an, you've been an entrepreneur almost uh, since your early years. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure, Don. Um, I've always had an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, spirit. So when I was about four, I started selling Kool-Aid and candy to the neighborhood kids and their parents. And throughout my kid years, I made kids' jewelry to sell or I purchased items to sell on the UMass uh, concourse in Amherst. And really, I have my parents to thank for this. Uh, my dad, he himself was an entrepreneur. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, throughout the years then, I got married. I had a few kids. And throughout their growing up years, I had a few other businesses. Aside from this, because obviously this is my business now, but none of them were successful. And then just all about happened back in one afternoon in 2011, and it was amazing what happened, and how this business came about. So what happened? Well, one of my kids came home with a spray can of chalkboard paint for his wall, and his older brother had actually been up at college and had told him about what he did on his wall at college. And so he said, Mom, come on in. And, you know, the two other siblings came in with me at the same time, and we all just watched him put it on. He's real artistic. And I looked at my kids, and something just literally clicked. And I looked at them, and I said, how do I get a chalkboard on a T-shirt? And that was it. Literally, there was no stopping me from there. So what's your product? My product is a chalkboard on a T-shirt, and we do different style chalkboards. We can have a heart, a train, a flower, really any style chalkboard. We offer five that are 
you know, are regular chalkboards, but we have people. Uh, they can be written on, erased, and rewritten on with chalk. And we give a free box of chalk with each purchase, and they all go in the washer and dryer. So this is something that you can just express yourself on and through your artwork or talk about it, you know, whatever you have in your head, put it on there, go out there, and just show the world over and over again. So, in other words, your product is a T-shirt for, for kids. Do you have it for adults? We absolutely do. We actually start from two toddler, and we go all the way through adult. And so it's a chalkboard, and you could before you put it on, you can put anything you want on it uh, from the chalk and then go out and uh, uh, make your express, uh, feelings known, huh? Absolutely, and it's really a lot of fun, and that is really what our company is all about. It, it's number one fun because it really brings out the kid in you, even when you're an adult, and it just brings out more of a kid in you when you're a kid. So just going out there and telling the world how you feel that day, or you might want to tell somebody how you're feeling about them. <laughs> We've had that before. Okay, so now 2011, it's now 2015. Tell us about your journey from idea to uh, uh, your first product. Sure. Um, well, I already spoke about how we got to it or how I got to it, and it's really been something. We have been out to so many shows, me and my kids, and even my mom, who's now 83. We go out to these shows we have a whole setup. We've got the tent out there. We've got the table where all the kids and the adults are coming up, where all the shirts are laid out with the different chalkboard designs, chalk for them to write on. We have spray bottles set up with a cloth so that they can wipe it off and start it all over again. So that's where we really began. That was the very first thing. From there, now we're going into some stores. We have our website. Uh, and I always say R because I like to include my children uh, in this because they've been so intricate with it. Uh, we also now are we're just added to an online store that's uh, pretty successful with our shirts thus far, and they've only had it for about a month and a half. Uh, we've been asked by another company recently out of California that we're getting ready to go into contract with. Uh, we're going to be all over Amazon coming up uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. But but um, you, uh, you say it's a chalkboard, and it could go into a washer and dryer. Did you develop this? How did, how did you find the chalkboard? How did we find it? Through a lot of trial and error, mixing a lot of different paints, a lot of different inks, and so forth. And then we so, would wash it, and you know what? When we first started, Don, the chalkboard cracked. It was hard. Now we have it where it's pliable, and it's not something you can purchase in the store. Pliable you have a patent it's on soft. it? Uh, we have everything that we can possibly get for our chalkboard shirts. We're all inked up. Well, that, well that's good. So uh, by trial and error, you de- developed this chalkboard uh, it's, it's not really a chalkboard. It's it's some material that you can write uh, on with chalk that could go into a washer and a dryer. It's actually Am I right? no. It's not. It's not a material. It's actually an ink. Really? It is an ink. 
Yes, it is. Absolutely. And then we do the process to put it on. So it goes right in the washer and dryer. Okay. But now, uh, where do you source your uh, uh, T-shirts, and and how do you do... How do you get your product, produce your product? Well, this is how we're doing it now. Uh, First of all, we purchase our T-shirts in the United States. We do our process in the United States. And we actually now have just started going to friends uh, that we have been acquainted with for quite a while. So they are doing the process for us, getting it ready and then we're just we can just ship them out, so we can do it on a much larger scale. Well, uh, if you go on Amazon, you're talking thousands of pieces. Are you going to be that, able to uh, ramp up? Absolutely, we've already got our operations down really, really well. Uh, we will be able to do this. What if uh, someone like? Uh, 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 Walmart comes along and says they want 500,000 pieces. What are you going to do then? Well, you know, that's a, that's a lot. Uh, you know, you we have started and and where, you know, it's just 348 shirts that we actually started with, and now, you know, we're doing in the thousands of shirts. But, uh, you know, you, want to do, you do want to take it slow, so we would really have to think about that because, Something really important, too. If one's business grows too fast, okay, and you can't keep up with it, then obviously, you know, your business can be a loss. We don't Mm -hmm. perceive that happening, but when we get to that point, we'll deal with it. Well, now... Who's in the company? You say your family, but you're you're obviously running it. But do you have your husband involved? Do you have your children? How how, how are you organized? Well, how this is where we're starting to grow now. Um, it's actually me. I am the creator and the owner of the business. My children help out when they can. They are older too, uh, you know, so they have their jobs, school, and so forth. Uh, they help me with the design, so because one of my kids is an artist so he can do a lot of the designs. I have other people that also uh, I can rely on as well. And then my mom, you know, she's a real big, uh, you know, rah-rah person with this and helps out a lot and with ideas and so forth. What we're doing now, we're structuring structuring ourselves where we have independent uh, people in different parts of the country that are coming on to work with us. And how do you... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And uh, they're very good people. Uh, they're smarter than what we are uh, or what I am, even in you know in the sales and so forth. But they're actually finding us done. They're coming to us. Well, so uh, are they, are they salespeople or do they help you produce the product? I'm not clear now on that we, point. I'm sorry. They're all sale. They're salespeople. Absolutely, mm. we have our operations people who are helping us to produce the product, and then we have our sale people, salespeople. Mm. And you're doing this all from your home, or have you moved into That's an office yet? 
We're actually doing it right from home. I have that. But where we are producing the product now, uh, the chalkboards on the T-shirts, that is in a building where these people are already all set up. And they are doing the production right there. We can ship right out from there. That's not a problem. So you you buy uh, you buy the T-shirts, bring them to the facility, have them literally print on the slate board, and uh, and by the way, we haven't said. Tell us the name of your company. Oh, the, you know what? How did I forget that? Um, <laughs> the name of uh, my company is Chalk Me Up. And that's literally what you're doing. You're chalking these shirts up and you're having fun with them. Well, spell it out for our radio audience. It's chalk me up, C-H-A-L-K-M-E-U-P with an exclamation mark. Chalk and me what's up. The, is that your website as well? It sure is. It's www.chalk.com meup.com I'm sure you didn't have any trouble getting that one Uh, You know, it's kind of funny I really did not I had other ideas for the name of my company and I was so set on a different name and all of a sudden I just said, you know what I'm going to try this, I'm going to give this a go I think this is the right name and I just did it and I was very fortunate and I got it Okay, so so uh, so the recap for our audience: you saw your you, your son doing with the chalk. You came up with an uh, an idea, and four years later, you're, you're uh, in business. And are you profitable yet? Uh, not just yet, but we believe that by 2016 we will be. Okay. Well, how have you how have you financed the business? Well, originally I put in money of my own, and uh, now we are actually going for some funds to. And I keep saying we. I I guess I really should say I, but I'm going for funds presently to so that we can help in the expansion of the business. But everything has been our money thus far. Okay, so. Uh, you're, you're working with a company. What are the, uh, on the West Coast that's going to bring you on to Amazon? What will they do that you can't do in, uh, with Amazon? Uh, they will be able to. Well, they've been in the market for uh, years. They have a good strategy. They they're very well versed with online and. So this was an opportunity for them. They saw my company chalk me up as an opportunity, and they'll be very powerful, I believe. They've been around for a little while, a lot longer than us. What has been your biggest obstacle so far, and how did the you biggest, overcome it? Okay, uh, the biggest obstacle... Thus far in the business is that it's pretty much been me for the most part. And then it's getting to the expansion part and making sure that things run smoothly. And it's just getting to that really now. Uh, 
you know, it's pretty tough when you're, you're, I don't want to say tough, but challenging when you're doing everything, the social media, the, you know, working. I do have a company now that's doing the online for me, helping me with it, uh, you know, doing your QuickBooks, going out to the shows, making sure that you have enough inventory. It, it's a lot. And, you know, I have my three kids as well, even though they're older. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. still around, and I, you know, I want to dedicate time to them still, as well. Okay. Uh, are you are you a married mom or a divorced mom or widow? Uh, well, um, I'm actually separated. Oh. So yeah, I, I've been married though for over 28 years. It's huh? been a long time. Very nice mm-hmm. man. Well, I was, the reason I ask because that's over, lawyers say never ask a question that you don't know the answer to. Because uh, uh, what role does your husband play in all of this? Oh, he's he's you know been great throughout the whole process, and you know he's a great dad and just a great man. Well, that's a high compliment. Always, always I, I wish my I wish my ex-wife would say that about me. Listen, I've been with him. I've known him since I was a kid, Don. Mm. So very interesting. Well, um, let's go away from that subject, and I'll uh, ask sure. you a couple more because our next guest is uh, waiting online, and I, I, w- I w- want to make sure we have time for him. So. But how are you now? You got that problem. How are you overcoming it? Are you looking for additional people to help you with the company? What are you doing now that you're growing as you are? Well, obviously, I'm looking for sales reps to work with me. Also, I'm looking at a marketing company to help me. I've got my operations set, which I'll be very intricate in because it's really, really important that we put out a great product. Uh, We also have, um, uh, you know, I'm getting some PR, and thanks to uh, the product uh, event show in New York at Morton Steakhouse recently, it's really given an, an incredible boost for our company, and we have a lot of bloggers that are coming on and getting ready to blog about, you know, chalk me up, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just fabulous. Well, you're on this program because of that show. Absolutely. That's where I met you. Mm. And a lot of great well, people. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, it's run by Allison uh, Dutch, and I always, uh, if you look her up, if, if you're on the program and you want to get to, your product known, that's the way to do it. Uh, well, you got my endorsement as the press, and I think Shelly's in terms of the product. Uh, we have to go on to our next guest. Shelly, thanks for coming, but again, tell us your website. It's www.chalkmeup.com, C-H-A-L-K-M-E-U-P.com, and we also offer fundraisers, birthday bundles, corporate, so in many, many other occasions that you can have our shirts for. 
Well, Shelly, good luck to you, and let's stay in touch because um, a year from now we would like to have you back on the program and tell us your progress. Thanks a lot, Don. I really do appreciate you having me on today. Well, thank you for coming. Have a great day. You too. Take care now. Bye-bye. Our next guest is Tony Rothman, uh, who's written an absolutely fabulous book. Uh, Tony, welcome to the program. Hi, glad to be here. Well, uh, uh, you know, the Spaniards have a, a, a saying, if death came from Madrid, we'd all live a long time. Uh, and I wish <laughs> I, I hadn't had... heard that one. Well, it's 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 an old uh, Spanish one, but uh, and your book, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, for, first I'm gonna ask you, as we ask all our guests, a little bit about yourself personally. Then I'm gonna uh, have you tell tell our audience about the book, and then I'll tell them why I invited you on this program. Uh, but first, Tony, a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, strangely enough, uh, professionally, uh, most of my life I've been a theoretical physicist. And I taught for eight years at Princeton, and I've taught at Harvard as well and some other places. Um, So I'm a bona fide (laughs) um, physicist, but I've also uh, had a uh, second career as a writer. And uh, before this book, I already published uh, 10 others, um, including just this year, a kind of scientific thriller about a race for nuclear fusion called Firebird. And all these books are, you know, available on Amazon and so forth. Um, So uh, writing a novel is is, a longstanding pastime, let's say, let's put it that way. Well, what's the name of your book? Uh, the new one is called The Course of Fortune, and it's about the Great Siege of Malta, which took place exactly 450 years ago this year, in 1565, and it's being wildly celebrated on Malta. Well, you you, you wrote a book. I've often, uh, as a young man, I read uh, Captain from Castile, I always thought that would be the, the definitive book about uh, the Span- uh, Spaniards until I read, started to read your book. But I only have three volumes, and I see it's going to be a five-volume set. No, Did no. I read that uh, right? <laughs> uh, three is all there is. In fact, 20 years ago it would have been published as one volume. It's not even as long as Shogun. <laughs> Um, it's just nowadays, uh, I guess, attention spans have decreased, so the publisher decided to release it uh, as three books, even though it's really one. I might tell the audience that uh, Tony and I share the same publisher, and he did the same thing to my novel. My uh, my novel, he broke it into three parts. Um, so uh, we share the same thing, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit. If it had been up to me, I would have published it in one volume. Well, but it so wasn't would up I. To me. <laughs> well, we he's smarter than us, and he's smarter than us in, in, in publishing. At least as we hope so. But right. The reason I I asked you on the program, and as I read your book, and I, I wrote you a note, I said your book is one of those books that you should not rush through because it has so much detail in it and you learn so much along the way um sometimes it becomes dizzying but 
uh, we're, our program is about small business. But what I thought was fascinating about your book and your descriptions was how uh, the uh, defenders of Malta made use of everything available. And that's what what I want, want, was hoping we could talk a little bit about, because I have a hunch you've done a tremendous amount of research. Uh, uh. Yeah, I got quite into it. Uh, I think one thing I did that previous authors who have written about this didn't do is that I went back to the oldest possible sources, that some of which were written uh, right after the siege, actually, and uh, I had to teach myself 400-year-old French in order to uh, uh, read the major source <laughs> about the siege. So, um, yeah, it was quite an escapade. Well, what you got, what you got out of it um, uh, in, in your novel, but what are the, some of the things uh, that you could share with our audience that uh, you learned from that in terms well you're a physicist but you also manage your time and manage what did you learn that might be of interest to to this audience your your audience may never have heard of the siege of Malta so maybe I should say a couple words about what it was (laughs) why not yeah right so so at least they can uh, tune in um so, it, uh, 450 years ago, uh, in 1565, the Ottoman Turks uh, sent against the island of Malta uh, what was probably the largest armada since antiquity. By all accounts, it was something like 200 uh, ships, including 130 or 40 uh, war galleys and the rest being supply ships. Uh, they brought, uh, the numbers are certainly disputed, but just for let me say they probably brought something like 30,000 fighting men uh, immediately and then maybe another few thousand showed up from uh, the Barbary coast in in Africa and they brought something like 65, almost I think exactly 65 uh, siege guns, some of which were pretty big even by today's standards. Um, And uh, on the island, defending this little island in the middle of the Mediterranean, uh, were 550 knights of Malta and another oh six to eight thousand mercenaries and untrained Maltese irregulars. And the extraordinary thing about this story is that, uh, first of all, the numbers you know, are more like 20, 20th century or 21st century numbers in the 16th century. You know, bringing a, a force that size to an island. Uh, and the other extraordinary thing about it, which captures the imagination, uh, is that after four months of the most vicious siege warfare imaginable, and I tell you it really was vicious, uh, the Turks gave up. They basically packed up and left. And it was the first time they had been defeated in a century since they uh, captured uh, Constantinople. And it uh, really, although it strategically didn't alter the balance of power in the Mediterranean, it uh, it uplifted Europe's morale uh, immensely, and uh, from that point of view, proved to be very important. It, was, it may well be the most famous event of the 16th century, actually. Wow. So they they had this. They were outnumbered. They were outgunned. Yet they pre- prevailed. How did they do it? 
Well, uh, on the divine level, um, uh, only Allah can predict the course of war. That's a lesson that we should all learn. (laughs) On the executive management level, the um, Turks made a couple of really serious mistakes. Um, First of all, they underestimated their enemy. The Grand Master of the Knights of Malta was what we would call today a real badass. And he was prepared to sacrifice every last man, woman, and child on the island before surrendering. Uh, He was not going to uh, uh, retreat. Well, he couldn't retreat. Uh, The only thing he could do is surrender or die, and he was prepared to die. Uh, A big relief force was being uh, uh, organized in Sicily by the Viceroy of Sicily, and he was just going to hold out until that relief force uh, came. Uh, So the Turks underestimated just the willpower of the Knights of Malta. Um, Another management mistake they made was they split the command. Uh, Suleiman sent two commanders, one an admiral named Piali Pasha and one uh, the general of the land forces named Mustafa Pasha. And even though Mustafa was nominally in charge, Piali never ceded place, and they were at constant loggerheads. Uh, and there was even it even got more complicated because this famous corsair showed up from Barbary named Dragut in English, and he was the real brains of the outfit. So you had these three commanders kind of constantly arguing <laughs> with each other over what the best thing to do was. And this... Um, resulted in some uh, very severe mistakes. Uh, and, you know, I can go into as much detail as you want, if you'd like <laughs> me to. Keep going. You're doing a great job. <laughs> okay. Well, you have to understand a little bit about uh, Malta. It's a very small island. It's about half the size in area of Mercer County, where I live. Uh and if there was an expressway across Malta nowadays, you could drive across it in 15 minutes. It's not big at all. And at the time, it was pretty desolate, uh, just a very kind of a barren, rocky island. The saving grace was there was two magnificent harbors, and one of them is today called the Grand Harbor. And it really is grand. It's about three miles long with all kinds of inlets and little peninsulas and so forth. And it's really one of the world's great sights. In the center of the island, there's an old capital uh, called Medina. Now, the sensible thing for the Turks would have, to have done would be to have captured this old capital in the center of the island, uh, which was undefended and was providing a uh, communications route to the Viceroy of Sicily, who was organizing this release force. They didn't bother doing that. They just let this capital... Uh, sit there. It was undefended, uh, and it proved a a communications base and a base for the cavalry. If they had done that, they could have wintered in Malta, and they could have um, then attacked the harbor area. Now, the harbor area in Malta was pretty heavily defended by three forts. The main castle of the Knights is called Fort St. Angelo which is a pretty hefty piece of work. Uh, there's another big uh, fort called uh, Saint-Michel. And then there was a little, a smaller fort right at the tip of the harbor, at the entrance of the harbor. It was called Fort St. Elmo. 
Now, if they'd attacked the other forts and taken them first, Fort St. Elmo just would have withered on the vine, okay? It wasn't strategically important, but uh, they decided to go after that fort first, okay? This Fort St. Elmo at the tip of the harbor, and they set up several dozen siege guns above it and reduced it to rubble in the space of a week. But Jean de Vallette, the Grand Master of the Knights, would resupply it every night with provisions and fresh troops across from across the harbor from the, the bigger forts. And uh, the Turks didn't interdict this traffic. And, uh, so even after the Fort, fort St. Elmo was reduced to rubble, uh, the Knights were holding out. And what uh, the Turks actually thought that this whole operation was going to take a week. You've probably heard this before in more recent times. And... Uh, they were still trying to take this fort after a month, and uh, eventually this Dragut showed up from North Africa, and he said, look, you idiots, um, you've got to interdict this traffic coming across the harbor. They're resupplying the men and uh, materiel. They finally did that. The fort fell. The Turks massacred everybody inside. Probably 1,200 people altogether died uh, there. Uh, but in doing so, the Turks sacrificed four to 6,000 men of their own, including their best troops, the Janissaries. They lost at least half the Janissaries taking this little fort to no purpose whatsoever. And that really uh, cost them the siege because the rest of the troops were not as highly trained as these Janissaries. And as the summer wore on, they were all getting sick and so forth, and they were losing their willpower. And it became, there was a lot more fighting and very dramatic fighting and so forth. But uh, um, they, uh, as, as the summer wore on, it became kind of a siege of attrition. Keep so going, you're doing it. great. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was. First off, divided command is never good. There should be just one person in charge. Two, pick your targets correctly. Understand right. where uh, where your competitor uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses are, and. Ha um, the thing that's so perplexing uh, is they knew this. They had spies in the island, and they had sent them there a year, and they knew exactly the layout of the island. They knew where all the defenses were. They knew where the old capital was. And it's not entirely clear to this day why they decided to take this uh, Fort St. Elmo first, but it was a disastrous mistake. Um, so, so a large reason the siege failed was on the side of the Turks, you know, mismanagement of the whole thing. In fact, by the end of the summer, the Janissaries even mutinied at one point. Uh, on the side of the Knights, um, well, it was a much more desperate situation. You know, they were outnumbered, you know, by at least three to one, if not five to one, you know. And uh, um, they uh, had done a big job of... Um, strengthening the defenses around the fort uh, the the harbor area for instance they imported this huge chain from Venice which they stretched across across the harbor to uh, uh seal off one of the the major inlets uh, near the castle and uh, they um organized to the extent they could they organized their defenses pretty uh sensibly they uh one of 
the Grandmaster gave his right-hand man kind of a 200 men to act as kind of a flying squadron that would run around to wherever they were needed most. Uh, given they had so few men, it was a sensible idea. They also stationed the cavalry in the old capital so the cavalry could uh, make raids uh, you know, and reconnaissance missions on a daily basis. Um, so it was a, uh, he did a pretty good job with this uh, with the disposition of forces. And as you were saying earlier, they just made use of everything they could think of. Um, they got word from a defector from the Turks that there was going to be this land and sea attack to one of the peninsulas within the harbor. The Turks were porting boats over uh, the the, uh, the Mount uh, Shibaras, which is this peninsula. But anyway, they were porting boats, and anyway, they realized there was going to be this uh, attack uh, on one of the inner uh, peninsulas, and so they, you know, took all the galley slave chains and, and made a palisade, you know, <laughs> stretched across the uh, uh, this little peninsula, you know, which which stopped the uh, the boats, and uh, they um, also uh, had set up a sea level battery at point uh, at the base of. Fort St. Angelo, and and when the Turks got uh, within range of that, they just blew them out of the water. That one shot may have saved Europe that day. Um, so yeah, I mean, they uh, they did everything conceivable. They they poisoned all the wells so that the Turks couldn't use them, uh, and that was a risky maneuver because Malta is uh, pretty desolate, and, and they were running out of water themselves. Actually, they were very lucky that some springs opened up because of the bombardment itself. I should say that the uh, Turks eventually surrounded the harbor area with their siege guns and subjected it to what was certainly the largest and most sustained bombardment in history up to that time. They say you could hear the cannons all the way up in Sicily, which was, you know, about 50, 60 miles away. Well, um, and you tell this story through the eyes of the, the main pr- protagonist. Am I correct? Right. Well, um, and and you you cover him from the beginning to the end. It's really fascinating. The name of your book again? The Course of Fortune. Um, uh, volume one, volume two, and volume three. Volume I'm on volume three, two yeah. now. Uh, <laughs> and it gets better. It gets better. He said you could. You said I couldn't possibly read it from the time I got it, and you're right. But I sometimes can't put it down. Uh, well, Tony, uh, if people want to uh, find the book, get the book. How do they do it? Well, it's very easy to find online. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, and you know the usual places. Um, uh, so it's that's probably just the easiest thing to do is go to Amazon. Well, um, I, I I recommend it because I read it in the context of this uh, a small business and just found it fascinating. That's why I invited you on the program. <laughs> well, I did want to kind of a... sorry, I did <laughs> want to kind of dissect the siege. In some sense, the whole book is to understand what went wrong. <laughs> well. Uh, uh, small businesses have to figure that out uh, every day. What went right and what went wrong. And your book, as I read it, and I'm a, somewhat of a military historian, I just thought it was, uh, uh, it had a lot of lessons for small business, and that's why you're on the program. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. For, 
No, I want to thank you for coming. Oh, well, my pleasure. Uh, uh, good, good luck to you, and uh, we hope uh, uh, we hope you have a bestseller because uh, well, I know uh, um, it's a it's a great read. Well, thank you very much. I hope it's a bestseller too. <laughs> good luck to you. All right, night. Good evening. Our next guest is S. Ed Castano. He's VP of Marketing at Blue Vine Capital. Uh, and I tell you, I'm fascinated by Blue Vine. Uh, Ed, welcome to the program. Ben, thanks, Don. Excited to be here. Well, uh, we're excited to have you because uh, um, I've learned a little bit about Blue Blue Vine, and I'm going to let you tell more about it. But first, we always ask our guests to say a little bit about themselves personally. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Well, let's see. I began my career in management consulting, advising Fortune 500 companies. Uh, eventually made my way to Silicon Valley. Uh, took a job with Intuit, Intuit's corporate strategy group uh, before going to graduate school and spending a little bit of time traveling around the world. Um, eventually, I came out of graduate school with two degrees um, and uh, decided to try my hand at entrepreneurship, spent some time teaching myself web development, as well as advising and consulting for other startups uh, before returning to Intuit to join um, their product group, uh, working first with Intuit Financial Services, and then later on with Mint.com, which is a personal finance website. And then at some point, uh, it's a great, great segue to Bluevine, um, I saw an email message come across my Gmail account um, from some of my classmates, uh, former classmates, um, talking about um, they were recruiting, Bluevine was recruiting for a VP of operations. And out of curiosity, I looked up Bluevine and looked up our founder, Ayal, and was doing a little bit of a little research on them. And they all eventually noticed that I was looking at his profile on LinkedIn because you can you, LinkedIn tells you. He reached out to me and said, "Hey, I saw you were checking out my profile. Is he relating the job?" And I said, "Yeah, sure. You got me. Let's chat." Um, one thing led to another, and really, what caught me about Blue Vine was the focus on a very deep-seated small business pain, which is managing your cash flow and accessing capital. Banks are very uh, tight uh, with lending. There's that old saying that a bank will only lend you money uh, if you can prove that you don't need it, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, so I thought it was really a big opportunity for me to help small businesses uh, reach their growth aspirations and to arm them with, with the tools that they needed to continue to manage and grow grow their business. So what does Blue Vine Capital do? Sure. So the easiest way to explain this is by giving you an example. So let's say you're a business, um, a small business serving another business. Let's say that one of your clients is Coca-Cola or P&G. And then let's say, for instance, you run a marketing company and you're doing marketing for one of these companies or staffing or really any other type of service. And you issue an invoice, you complete the work, uh, let's say it's a $10,000 invoice, you issue an invoice, and the terms that a lot of these large companies demand are typically net 30, net 60, um, some even as much as net 90. 
And for a small business, that's very painful to have to wait 30, 60, 90 days to get paid on a service that you've already completed for materials that you've already purchased um, for a product that you've already delivered. So what we do is we give them an advance on that invoice. So instead of them having to go to the bank and submit themselves to a colonoscopy in order to get a loan, we allow them to advance those invoices so that they can get paid on day one instead of waiting 30, 60, 90 days to get paid. Well, it's a form of factory. That's exactly correct, yes. Um, so how this came about is that uh, our founder, Yael Lifshitz, um, he recalled his his father had his own physical therapy uh, clinic, and he recalled how his father went through times where he was not paying himself um, in order to meet payroll because the insurance companies were taking too long to pay. And he bumped into this uh, industry, factoring, which has existed since the times of Babylon, but hasn't changed much uh, during that time. And he saw an opportunity to take what's a great solution, invoice financing uh, and receivables factoring is a solution that works very well as a source of working capital. Um, But uh, the existing players really hadn't adopted technology and hadn't adopted a customer-centric approach to invoice factoring. And he thought there was a perfect opportunity to essentially marry this product and a little bit of that uh, Silicon Valley pixie dust of of technology and customer-centric approach and put the customer front and center in order to uh, allow them to access the cash that they need to run their business and pay their employees and and grow their business. Well, what makes you different from from these other factoring companies? How does it work? Sure, that's an excellent question. so there's 1,000 small business factoring companies across the U.S. Um, it's one of the most common f- forms of financing that uh, very few people hear of. And the, the key difference is that because these companies are all very small, they can't really afford to lose any money. They're incredibly risk-averse. So they vet their deals to death to the point that you have to jump through many hoops and it could take uh, two weeks or longer just to go through their application process and be approved. Um, the other problem that um, that Ayal found in this industry is that, um, in addition to being incredibly being incredibly antiquated, um, they had a lot of hidden fees, a lot of long-term contracts. So you know you think you're paying two percent per month, but in reality, once you add up all these all these all these other hidden fees. Um, it's you know it's a little bit of a bait and switch, and the fees sneak in, and ultimately they're not getting as good a deal as they think they are. The other part is that uh, because there's so much work to vet um, a small business owner uh, in order to provide invoice factoring services, um, it takes um, it, it takes quite a long time to 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 accomplish that process. Um, and and therefore they can't they can't really afford to to take to take any loss on 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 a factoring arrangement uh with a small business owner um, and then lastly you know our process is 100% online we a small business owner can apply via our website if they need to talk to somebody they can 
but everything's at their fingertips, so they can see exactly what invoices are available for them to, to advance, um, and they can choose uh, which invoices. They don't have to factor all of the, the, their invoices. The problem with traditional factoring is that because it takes so much time and effort to vet a small business owner, they essentially, to make up to recoup their investment, the factoring companies will then require them to sign up for uh, two-year, one-year, two-year contracts. And these long-term contracts um, essentially um, increases their cost. And what we do at Bluevine is that we let them decide what invoices they would like advanced so they have complete control over their costs and over their customer relationships. Um, so those those are the key ways in which we're different than a traditional factoring company. Okay, so um, I'm a small business, and I just uh, got a um, I just completed a twenty thousand dollar order for a large corporation. Um, uh, I I now have I have the uh, the PO from them, uh, and I have uh, and I've uh, satisfied that. Uh, uh, now I go to you to your site and I uh, uh, sign up for your service, and I want to, want you to uh, uh, advance me uh, uh, money against this twenty thousand um, uh, dollar invoice. Uh, uh, do I uh, fax you the invoice? Do I, what do I do? Uh, how does the yeah, process sure. work? Sure. So once you go to our website, it's a very simple sign-up process. Uh, essentially, you click Sign Up Now. There's a short application that you run through that. Once you're done with the application, um, you connect your accounting software if you have it. If you don't have accounting software, we actually allow you to enter the invoice directly onto, uh, onto the site. So you don't have to fax us anything. Uh, you don't have to send anything via Carrier Pigeon. Um, it's all done you know, through, through the power of the Internet. And within 24 hours, our team will respond to your application. And the response is either approved, decline, or we need more information. Now, um, typically, we can fund companies as fast as 24 hours for the first-time application. And for somebody that's already an existing customer, we can get them funded in a matter of minutes uh, once they're approved and they submit an invoice for advance. Um, if they select wire as their payment option, they can have money in the bank in a matter of hours. Okay, so but what? Let's say on that twenty thousand dollar bill, what do you charge, and how does it work? Uh, let's say I, I'm I'm signed up for you, and and you've you've checked my credentials, et cetera, and you feel that we're a real legitimate company. Uh, uh, what do you charge? How, how, yeah, sure. Is it a percent? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so our fees range from 0.5% to 1% per week uh, based on the face value and the invoice. So let's take this $20,000 invoice as an example. Uh, we would give you an advance of 85% of the value of the invoice. So in this case, on a $20,000 invoice, we'll advance you uh, $17,000. Um, and let's say that the invoice is outstanding for four weeks, um, and hypothetically, let's let's say you qualify for our best rate, which is 0.5%. Um, 
um, you know, essentially we're talking about 2% on those $20,000. So 2% on $20,000, you're talking about $400 to receive the $17,000 30 days sooner. Um, once we receive the payment to your BlueVine account, we set you up with a BlueVine account that consists of a P.O. box where clients can send, where the customers can send checks, and a bank account where they can receive electronic payments both in their business name, once that invoice is paid 30 days later for $20,000, um, essentially the difference there is $3,000, our fees are $4,000. So we will give you a rebate for the remaining amount, which is $2,600. So in total, the small business um, received uh, $19,600, and they had 17000 of those $20,000 advanced to them um, ahead of, of when the invoice was actually paid. Right. So um, so it's, well, let's say 1% because it's easier for me to figure out. So that, sure. that would be four, uh, in four weeks it would be 4%, uh, eight weeks it would be 8%, and 12 Correct. weeks it would be four, uh, 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 12% if I got it right. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Another way oh. to think about it for our standard fee, for a one percent fee, is ten dollars uh, per week for every thousand dollars in face value of the invoice. Okay. Well, I just want to make it uh, uh, clear. Yeah. Uh, I I once got involved with a, a factoring company, and uh, the average uh, factor gets sixteen and a half percent. This was a few years ago, and it might be changed now. But that's what I was told uh, is, mm-hmm. is the average um, what what a factor gets uh, on average for factoring. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the figure might be wrong now, but that's what I uh, I was trying to I'm trying to put it in perspective. Sure, sure. And, and that's after the I love I love your expression uh, uh, color. What, what somebody fell to a colonoscopy in order to get a bank loan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they they ask they ask for everything, uh, every little detail. But how do you check to make sure that uh, uh, I'm good for it? I mean, uh, uh, you know, our company we've been in business 20 years, but some companies aren't. Uh, is there a minimum like two years in business? What do you? How do you figure that? No. Out? No, so that's you know if you think about a um, a matrix where on one axis you have uh, cost and on another axis you have effort, um, a bank is the lowest cost but the highest effort, whereas something called the merchant cash advance is the highest cost but the lowest effort. Um, factoring is both lower cost than a merchant cash advance and lower effort um, than a bank. Now the key thing is that the bank, as you said, will will vet uh, a company to death, um, and what the bank doesn't do is use other signals that that we can, and that's a secret sauce. So let me, let me give you an example: a bank will not give you a loan even if your business has been growing rapidly um, and you have strong margins. If you haven't been in business for at least three years. Uh, right. We don't have any minimum times in business. Uh, we like, we prefer working with companies that have been in business for at least three months, but we've worked for companies that have also uh, been in business for less than three months. What we care about is that they have invoices that are good from um, from strong companies. So 
the the beauty of Bluevine is that we'll allow you to we'll fund you either best, ba- based on your personal credit or based on the credit worthiness of your clients. So if your business has strong credit but your clients aren't that credit worthy, you can get funding for Bluevine. Alternatively, if you if your business does not have great credit or if you don't have great personal credit but you have solid clients, you can actually leverage the credit worthiness of your clients to get funding for Bluevine. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's, there's more detail to that, but you know, that's that's one way to answer your question in, in terms of, you know, how how do we know you're good for it? Well, we'll know you're either good for it based on your personal history or based on the history of your clients. Well, well, uh, let me uh, ask the question. Uh, fraud is always uh, present in everything we do. Uh, what would prevent me from, from creating a, a PO order and uh, 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 and sending you in uh, false documents? How do you check it? Sure. So our risk team, we have a, a very strong risk team um, that takes into account hundreds of variables. Um, everything from, you know, where are you based out of, like where is your IP um, um, based out of um, to you know what 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 behavior did you have when coming onto the website, um, and we take all this as input so we can actually identify um, if you're a fraudster or not. Now you know it's not a, it's not foolproof. Doesn't mean like we're going to catch every single fraudster, um, but because our bread and butter is providing this capital over the internet, you know, without meeting somebody face to face. Uh, which is actually the the standard factoring protocol is you know they know everybody that they're financing in our case um, you know it's through the convenience of of an online application uh, which means that we then uh, what we don't have in terms of that those personal interactions we have in terms of hundreds of data points that we pull together um, so for instance we'll verify somebody's identity to prove to confirm that they are who they say they are. Um, in addition to that, um, you know, sometimes uh, if somebody's identity was stolen and there's, they try to use that identity to get funding from us, um, there'll be a flag that says hey, this is flagged for identity theft. Um, you know, do not issue credit unless you can confirm their identity. So there's many different there's different layers. You know, depending on the the signals that we're getting and the flags that are raised, there's different levels of Certainty that we can have based on the data that that um, we collect independently, and then based also on the information on the application. Yeah. Well, your website, bluevine.com. So blue as in the color blue, vine, b-l-u-e-v-i-n.com. How, how did that name come about? Sure. Um, so. Vine itself signifies growth, and that's important to us. And I think blue is a very—it's cool color. It has a calming effect. And in our industry, it's very important to build trust. Um, so having this brand name—that's a combination of, of a color that's soothing um, and something that signifies growth, the vine, um, was pretty powerful, and we wanted to build uh, the first national brand um, in a space, you know, full width of uh, 
local and regional companies, but no national brand. Well, Ed, it's been fascinating talking to you, and thank you for coming with us tonight. Uh, I hope uh, uh, our listeners will come and check out your website. And, um, and uh, uh, any, any final thoughts you want to say before we say good night? Um, well, what I'd like to say is, you know, first, Don, thank you for having me on the show. Um, and secondly, you, you made a comment earlier about uh, being um, a big follower of, of military history. And I, I, was, I wanted to get a thought from you, which is, you know, there's this comment that uh, people say that history repeats itself. Um, but I was wondering if you would agree that, you know, it doesn't really repeat itself, but it rhymes. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you.